Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is January the 15th, 2020. This is episode 2581, 2581 of the Survival Podcast. We're going to talk about a subject today that we've never discussed more than just maybe as an aside or in passing. Welding. Have you ever thought... Gee, I wish I could weld. Hey, look at those two pieces of metal. I wish those two things would get together and do something kind of cool, but I don't know how to weld. You know, becoming a great welder, like a professional welder, someone whose work is sought, that takes some time and some dedication. But with a little bit of time and a little bit of dedication and some common sense and a little bit of knowledge, anybody can get those two pieces of metal to stick together. That's not a slight on those of you guys that are like artistic welders. I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying it's not that hard to learn. Today, Nathan Walters, who is a professional metal fabricator and uh, welder who does beautiful artwork level welding, is going to be on to talk about that. To get you guys started, what are the, the main types of welding that you can get involved with? What's the best bang for a buck in getting started with welding? How to put together a good set of safety gear and stay safe when you're welding. How to get metal for your projects. Get this at 80 to 90% less than if you went out and bought it at retail. Uh, the different metals and alloys you can weld and which to choose from. Tips and tricks to become that better welder. How you can find classes and tutorials on welding and some unique projects and ideas to make as a welder. We'll have Nathan on with all of that and more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and get started with, well, how about a quote of the day that fits today's episode? This is by John Ruskin, and John Ruskin's a guy that, you know, I don't think a lot of people really know who he is in the world today. He was an art critic, a philosopher, a philanthropist, a social commentary thinker, uh, and a little bit of an artist himself, a watercolorist, uh, in the 1800s. He, he was born sometime in the early 1800s, checked out right around the year 1900. So not a guy you're going to learn a lot about in school or anything like this, but he had some pretty cool things that he said. And this one fits today's show. He was speaking more about art, work, true, not true, that's not the right word, uh, classically uh, conceived of artwork, like paintings, when he said this. He said, when love and skill work together, expect a masterpiece. I think that's a much broader thing than just the world of art or even welding. I think when you develop a skill around something you love, you truly have the ability to become a master at that thing that you're doing. And that should be the quest in our lives. Find something we love and then become really great at it. I've said, you know, one of my laws of life, we talked about laws of life yesterday, is everybody's a genius at something. Find a few of those things and get really great at them. And you can have a great life. And one of the ways that you can find out, well, what do I love? See, I find out, talk to young people a lot of time, and if you get them to really be honest instead of stop making excuses, you know, instead of making excuses, stop doing that and actually be honest, a lot of times I'll tell you is the problem is I don't, I don't really know what I love. I don't really know what I want to do. Well, the best way to figure out what you want to do, try tons of things. And you might find if you try something like welding or carpentry and cabinet making or who knows, knife making, who knows what. Not everybody has to have a job sitting behind a computer all that gone day. We need things made. We need things created. And, you know, people talk about the robots taking over. And I agree with mass-produced items. Most things today are already made by robots. But as you'll hear in today's show, when we get toward the end about some 
some ideas that Nathan came up with and I, things that he's made and why he made them. What we really need are people that can think about things differently and figure out, hey, what if there was this thing that did this thing and then had the ability to create that, even if it eventually ends up as a mass-produced product being made by a, uh, a robot. Robots aren't not going to be making prototypes anytime soon. So if you want to really go out and develop a skill to the point where you can create a masterpiece, however that word is meant in that, that realm that you're in, Find something you love and work at it until you get really great at it. And you can expect, in the words of John Ruskin, in the end, a masterpiece. With that, before I bring Nathan on, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Free State Project. They're trying to create their own masterpiece, which is liberty in our lifetime in the free state of New Hampshire, where they've created an organized movement to move as many people with a libertarian mindset to New Hampshire as possible to create the freest state in the nation. They're off to an amazing start. Been going more than a decade now. They have great they have a great organization. They have great events, and they have a, just a great on-the-ground group of people. And if you want more freedom in your life, and you're willing to walk and vote with your feet and walk to freedom, uh, New Hampshire's a great, great destination to consider. And the thing with the Free State Project, let's say you decided, you know, this is it. I want to get the hell out of here, and you're trying to figure out where to go. I can't tell you if New Hampshire's right for you, but what I can tell you is if you become part of the Free State Project, when you get there, you have people that are already trying to help you find a house, trying to help you find a job, putting you in touch with other people, tying you into a network, people that want to be your friend before you get there. That's something that really doesn't exist anywhere else that I'm aware of. Check them out today at the Free State Project at fsp.org forward slash join. Next up today, Western Botanicals. I love all things herbal. I believe that most of the things that, that trouble us on a daily basis. Now, there's chronic diseases and stuff. Like if you get the plug, you need antibiotics, all right? But when it comes to day-to-day -day things, almost everything we need exists in nature in the form of herbal medicines. And if it's herbal and legal, you'll find it at Western Botanicals with great people that really care about you, that will answer your phone, take your call, give you great customer service. Those people that answer the phone will be in a place called Utah, not a place called, let's say, New Delhi. And they are a long-term sponsor. They've been with us for nine-plus years. And they will never mislead you about the world of herbs. I mean, I wanted somebody in this position. I wanted a sponsor that I could say, this is where to go to for this stuff. The problem is it's full of liars, cheats, and snake oil salesmen. You'll find none of those things at Western Botanicals. Like I said, just real people that really care about you at westernbotanicals.com. With that, let's go ahead and get into today's subject, getting started with welding on a budget with our special guest, Nathan Walters. With that, hey, Nathan, man. Welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Uh, hey, man, I'm glad to have you uh, on board today. This is a topic, oddly enough, almost 12 years of the Survival Podcast. We'll be 12 in June, uh, 2,500-odd episodes. Never, you know, specifically discussed welding. And I think that's, like, a huge mistake. And I guess part of the reason why is I'm not a welder. But you're here today to tell us how anybody... Uh, even with a minimal investment, could become a welder. And I think that's awesome because there's so much that opens up when you add that skill set. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Nathan. Let's go back to like your space out in study hall, your senior year of high school. Um, what, what kind of path did you walk to end up in the world of prepping, welding, fabrication, all that stuff? Like, what was your profession? Were you, did you go straight into like a job where welding was part of it, or is that something you found along the way, or what have you? 
Well, in study hall in high school, I wasn't paying much attention because I didn't see the feas- feasibility of what I was doing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> I ended up going to vocational school, and it was a choice between that, that or criminal justice, uh, welding or criminal justice. So luckily, I got into welding and found out that I was very good at it. So uh, from there, I enlisted in the Navy, and the Navy trained me to do high-pressure pipe welding. And from there, I left early after five and a half years to go to an automotive school for more welding training. And now I'm back home at a uh, working at a fabrication facility that we build a lot of heat exchangers, a lot of things for Dow Chemical and uh, in the meantime, I'm uh, gathering equipment for my own fabrication shop, and I have a, a mobile unit, and I do a lot of side work and whatnot until I'm confident enough to where or I can support my family in the house doing that primarily. Awesome. So you are a professional welder, then. I wasn't really sure, and that's that's great. But you also say that, like, really, this is a skill that anybody can learn, and I'm sure that, like, there's a big difference in you know being able to weld and being a really skilled welder, but I think that like being able to do some would be beneficial to everybody. And let's kind of start out with what are and I, I think it's three. There's three primary welding uh, processes. What what are they, and what are kind of the advantages and disadvantages of each? <clears throat> well, the world of welding's vast and uh but primarily as it applies to people like myself and your audience it would be mig tig and stick um i i guess i would start with mig and mig is what i would recommend for most people uh welders are a bit egotistical and that they forget that the primary objective of welding is to put two pieces of metal together (laughs) so uh but with MIG, um, anytime on LetGo or the Facebook Marketplace and whatnot, I find that MIG is probably one of the cheaper units that you could find. And you could do uh, welding with carbon steel, stainless steel. And in order to do uh, MIG aluminum, you might need a special attachment. So you'd be kind of limited in that regard. But MIG is basically uh, metal inert gas or gas metal arc welding and uh, what it has is a wire feed spool with a gun, and you, you put your ground on. It's direct current positive. Um, polarities play a role in all the welding processes, but really all you need to know is that you put the ground on the work, and then, I mean, if you're doing – you need to get the appropriate wire for the application. Now, one of the advantages to MIG is that you can uh, – you can weld 110 or a 210, and um, at one point in time, I had a a little 110 plug-in uh, Lincoln machine, and with carbon steel, I was able to reinforce the frame of a Ford Ranger in my, my apartment garage uh, using a 110 plug. So, I mean, being able to weld quarter-inch steel and stainless, I mean, that really opens up a whole lot of doors for people. And I know that your audience are very proactive and uh, being able to do something like that, I mean, it's incredibly valuable. Um, next would be stick. Now, uh, that's uh, shielded metal arc welding, and that's primarily DC positive where, again, you have the 
the ground on the work, and that basically just talks about electron flow. But um, you can weld stainless, aluminum, and carbon steel uh, with the stick welding process. Um, as far as skill level goes, you would need to practice with it, with it which I'd advise with – if you're just starting out getting a machine, uh, a, a stick welding machine is probably going to cost you about the same if you're – if you're just looking in the used market, and uh, I mean, with any one of these machines, I mean, right now we're we're reaching. It seems like the industry is opening up where a lot of machines are available. And but Miller and uh, Lincoln, those are the primary uh, companies, and I mean, having a long-standing reputation, their machines are, are I mean, again, very reputable, but. Um, you could do quite a bit with each of those processes, and so moving on to TIG welding. TIG is gas tungsten arc welding, and you would need uh, you would need gas for that. It uses argon as a shielding gas. All the welding processes require a shielding gas to protect it from the oxygen. Uh, um, MIG, you can use flux core. I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but MIG uses you can use flux core, which doesn't require any gas, and both stick and make flux core, if you're out in the elements, if there's a little bit of a breeze, it won't be a problem. Uh, you'll get a little bit more spatter. It'll be a little bit not as clean and nice as if you use a gas, but then again, like I said, you won't have to worry about the elements so much. TIG uh, is probably the most versatile. The machines do hold their value out on the market, So, but if that gives you the ability to easily well just about anything and, and basically it uses a tungsten that's a non-consumable and that runs uh, revolt, reverse polarity which basically it's the instead of the ground being the negative the positive the the electrode or so the torch is actually the negative and then the positive is the ground and that's going to give you most likely the nicest welds you just need to be out of uh, any of the elements so Okay, so with all that being said, like some of that maybe is a little over people's heads. So let's take it down to the beginner here. That like all this person knows is you know what welding's cool, and I would love to be able to, like you said earlier, make two pieces of metal metal stick together and be strong and do a thing, whatever that thing might be. Um, for that person, what would be the best way to start welding at an entry level? Without you know going to school and without spending a fortune. Well, again, I I suggest starting with MIG. It's probably the easiest process. Uh, um, and in welding school, they have these things referred to as coupons, which are basically two inch by three inch pieces of plate. And what most people are going to end up doing in basic welding are called fillet welds, where if you have a plate sitting on a table and you stand a plate up and you were to weld that, that's considered a fillet weld. Um, what you want, and I would advise anybody, especially even if you're experienced, to dial in your machine, play with the settings. MIG has a wire feed setting and a voltage setting. So what you don't want is you want the weld to be flat and contoured. A lot of people that I bring over to my shop and they want to play around with a welding machine, they almost apply the the weld like it's a glue gun and really what you're doing in that spot 
where you're heating it up is you're heating up the plates themselves and you're also adding metal to it and you're flowing a molten puddle uh, across the scene and uh, it's incredibly strong so that's what I'd advise a lot of practice uh, I mean it really doesn't take much you just don't want it you can tell if the weld isn't fusing in with the base metal if you can take your fingernails at the the toes of the weld which would be the side and kind of pick at it like there's like a crevice you want that to be nice and flat and again with a, a 110 plug-in mig welder dialed in correctly uh, you can achieve that okay is there like for the person that wants to get some level of instruction is there you know like you see these things like continue education like you know type things is there Any type of training that's not like a high level trying to become a certified welder uh, type thing where like just the basics that would be available in, in most or some areas or anything like that or, or what have you? Well, in the age of information having YouTube, there's, there's all the, the mark, YouTube's actually saturated with, uh, welding tutorial videos, but if someone, wanted to have a tutor uh the, the vocational schools do offer night classes for a pretty reasonable price and you would start out doing the exact process i mentioned earlier so either that or youtube university and, and I, i just took a look while you were saying that and there is just tons of getting started basic tutorials uh on mm -hmm. on welding on youtube so uh either of those things what, what are the kind of metals and alloys people we commonly use here in What are the best ways to obtain those cheap? Because it's not just the welder, it's the material, too, that has some cost to it. You bet. The world of welding or metallurgy is so vast, but to the common man, uh, it's basically carbon steel, stainless steel, and aluminum. Carbon steel is probably the most abundant. It's the ch cheapest. Um, It's equally as strong as stainless steel for the most part. However, it's subject to corrosion. Um, stainless steel is basically carbon steel with a bunch of additives. And there's different grades of stainless steel, but 300 series is, 300 series and up is what you want if you want to make something that will stand the test of time in either your basement or out in the yard. And then uh, aluminum is pretty corrosion resistant. It's, it's subject to some oxide corrosion, but uh, I mean, it's incredibly soft, but it's something that it's not something that I would make uh, suspension components with or uh, anything that's it's like subject to a bunch of abuse. But I mean, for um, internal vehicle, you know, to make like a gauge pot holder or uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've made so many things. I have a, a roof rack that I made for a Jeep Rubicon. And the steel I got from the scrapyard, which I'll get to in a second. But after I finished fabricating it, I took a thing of uh, clear coat spray paint and really just put it on there well. And that was probably 10 years ago. Hmm. And the Jeep now belongs to another owner, which still has the roof rack. And it looks the same as the day that 
I put it on there. That's pretty uh, impressive. What, what, what brand of paint was that? That's I, I'm impressed with the paint. Do you remember? I know. I know. I I honestly don't. It was so long ago. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's doing well. But uh, there's some common misconceptions with stainless and aluminum, <clears throat> maybe even carbon steel. And it's that it's expensive. It's it's hard to get. And being in the industry. I mean, I'm inundated with it. It's everywhere. Uh, for for most people, I would advise going to a scrap yard. Um, you won't always have the success you want because the more less mom and pop shop places that are larger corporate entities uh, might not be inclined to let you on their yard for liability reasons. And some of them even have policies that they're not allowed to sell the scrap once they get it. But it's been the case for me most of the time that if I go to the scrapyard and what, what I what I would advise for your audience is that if you do go there, go with all the safety gear. And what I mean by safety gear is safety glasses, uh, a 3M P100 respirator. Oh, a P100 respirator, and then uh, you might want the ability to cut the metal. So. Uh, a DeWalt uh, angle grinder with a cutting disc and maybe a face shield, safety gloves. And what that tells the scrapyard is that you know what you're doing and you're not a liability because scrapyards are incredibly dangerous. Uh, the scrapyard sells stainless and aluminum to me at a dollar a pound. Uh, so I looked up today for one foot of 304 angle iron, which is two inches by two inches. Those would be the legs, and then a quarter inch thick. Uh, that is $14 a foot, which really isn't too bad, but if you're doing like a major project, that's going to stack up really quick. Uh, that piece would weigh 1.5 pounds. Hmm. So if I buy it, I'm paying a dollar fifty. So it's like eighty percent, ninety percent cheaper. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty. Cool. But other than that, if you're not having success, uh, a lot. The area I live in, it's highly industrial as far as metal fabrication goes, and that's probably the same for a lot of people. Um, and I talked to my employer about the same scenario because a lot of times they have what's called tooling steel. The tooling steel is there because it can't be used in an industrial application because it doesn't have a heat number. A heat number is typically printed on the steel or stainless or whatever alloy to let the uh, company know of what exact compounds are in that. And if they don't have, have that, then oftentimes they can't use it. Oftentimes the companies will sit on all these alloys, stainless, aluminums, until the market is at a good enough value, and then they'll they'll take them in and cash it in. But I talked to my employer, and uh, right now the scrapyards are offering twenty five dollars for both stainless and aluminum per pound. And I just kind of laid out the scenario that if I was a complete stranger and I walked in there saying that I wanted to do a metal fabrication project, and if you had any type of scrap or uh, tooling steel that you would be willing to let go of, I'd give you a dollar. 
dollar a pound, and uh, he he seemed pretty uh, open to the idea. So, what maybe are some advantages and disadvantages of of different metals that we might use in these projects? Well, uh, you know, again, aluminum is going to be the lightest, but I'm a huge fan of uh, stainless steel because have you ever seen the documentary on Discovery Channel that came out around 95? It was called Life After People. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, incredibly interesting. It just kind of goes into if people were to vanish right now, how long would it take for all of our infrastructure and the things we made to just basically corrode to nothing? And there's a place I believe in Arizona that I think belongs to Disney and the outside of the building is covered in stainless steel panels and they said that in that climate I believe if I remember correctly that it would last up to 10,000 years before the oxide layer that's on the outside of the stainless would deteriorate enough to where the corrosion would finally start to affect it and I don't know about you but Uh, there's so many things just around my house or things I go out and buy that either aren't made strong enough or will, will corrode long before I'm done using them. And having the ability to engineer things, even on a very basic level, is I mean, it's incredibly valuable because then you don't have to come back to it again. It's done. Absolutely. Building things to last is kind of a hallmark of this whole community. Definitely. I was thinking about your uh, the black soldier fly composter, and there's things that I've made out of wood, and I've just shellacked the paint on it, and it won't take but seven years, even bringing it in through the winter before the wood's completely rotted. Mm. But if, for instance, the black soldier fly, like composter if it was the structure of it was primarily made out of wood but if you found stainless stainless paneling at the scrapyard you could actually line the interior of that with stainless and then and i mean i i imagine that if you did measures to protect it from the external elements then it would last a really long time yeah absolutely you can i mean keeping wood long term as long as it's dry and sealed is easy now you put wood inside of a thing with you know insects eating and masticating and oozing and yeah it's it's not going to last that's that's a one really valid point there um what the thing is like okay if you want to talk about something you can hurt yourself doing it's metal work um not just the welding alone like cut a piece of metal and usually until you do something about the place you cut it you've made uh, a cutting tool it's sharp So, like, there's a lot of ways that you can injure yourself when you work with metal. When I took, I said I'm not a welder. The only welding I ever did was, like, in, in junior high school, I did spot welding. Uh, I took a metal shop uh, <laughs> class, right? And my, my shop teacher used to say, metal's completely unforgiving. It will cut you, it will stab you, it will shiv you. Uh, and, and like woodwork, you, there's no such thing as, you know, metal metal dough, right? Like, if you cut it short, you're, you're screwed. Uh, so what are some of the safety Yeah, pieces of safety equipment and procedures maybe we should use to keep from taking this new hobby and turning it into a trip to the emergency room or worse? Well, first and foremost, safety glasses always. Um, it's a policy in the facility I work at and also my own personal policy that anytime I'm doing any type of metal work, I just have safety glasses on. 
I don't have to remember to put them on. And um, in lieu of that, it seems the, the one thing that primarily gets my fingers nicked or any type of injury, it's complacency. So just having a, the standard that if you're doing metal work, have some safety glasses on. Um, I'd also recommend earplugs. Uh, any type of metal work can be noisy, and I always just wear earplugs. Um, I would definitely have a respirator, and by respirator, I don't mean those silly paper respirators because those things are practically useless. Most time you'll find when you use those that right around your nostrils, you'll see all the dust and everything coming through there. Mm. So 3M, they make a, a P100 mask. And it fits to your face really well. It's comfortable. And they come with these little pink filters. And they'll last a long time. Uh, if you're going to have it in storage for a while, then you know, I'd recommend spending $7 getting the re- replacement filters. But the mask itself will last a long time. Uh, the welding process is that the light can be damaging to your skin. So TIG isn't really so much as hard on your skin and it doesn't produce as many sparks or spatter that would burn your skin. But still I would recommend just having there's, there's welding sleeves you can get that are flame retardant. And just as a standard, I always wear them or you could get like perhaps just like a jean jacket, something that I certainly wouldn't recommend wearing a petroleum based shirt uh, because you'll pay for it really fast. But Certainly, you're going to need a welding helmet, and uh, a lot of people, if they go out and decide, like, okay, well, I found this machine on LetGo or Facebook Marketplace, and I'm going to weld. And then they get all excited. They go to you know your farm and fleet, and they see these auto tent helmets. That's all fine and good, and a lot of them are reasonably priced. But the problem I run into is that the sensors that activate the tent, if it's not really that great a quality, the Sometimes they'll flicker, and over a long period of time, it can just be hard on your eyes. And welding every day, you know, 10 hours a day, uh, I go to like a basic uh, $30 flip-down welding helmet with the shades. um, The the numbers go from 7 to, I believe, 14 or 15. And the higher up in that number you go, the darker it's going to be. Uh, basically a 10 or 11 would be fine for most welding applications. I mean, you don't want it to be too dark because you might have a hard time seeing your puddle. What are maybe some, uh, tips and tricks to become a better welder? I mean, I, I do know there it is a skill because there are guys that are really, really proud of, like you said, they're sometimes they're kind of elitist, but really, really proud of the quality of the welds. And, you know, for instance, I have a uh, a moonshine still made out of uh, stainless steel uh, that I got from uh, Mile High Distilling, and you know that guy's really proud of his welding. And when you look at it, you can you can see why. I mean, it's artwork. So you know, how does a person start improving so it doesn't look like bubble gum spackling? Uh, what are some ways maybe they can can start to get better at it? Well, some processes offer more can control than others. Uh, with stick, you just have one amperage setting, and it's up to you to basically manipulate the, the stick rod 
in order to achieve the bead that you want. Uh, with MIG, you can play around with a wire feed. You can kind of starve it a little bit and crank up the heat a little more as long as it's coming out at a consistent rate. And it gives you uh, almost like a sizzling bacon sound. I mean, that goes for both stick and MIG. But uh, I guess you just, you know, it comes down to practice. But with TIG, you have a foot pedal. So the foot pedal allows you to uh, control your amperage in real time. So if you're not getting what you want, don't be afraid to just let off the pedal a little bit and kind of idle your arc. And then you can re-engage it whenever you want. I, I'd be willing to bet that that still is probably TIG welded. Okay. Um, what what can I hope to achieve learning a skill? Like, what what would this really do for a person out there listening to this today? Saying, you know, it's always been something I kind of wanted to do, but, you know, we have to, like, decide what we're going to do with our time. So what kind of doors does this mm. really open for a person, especially somebody in kind of the, the prepper world or the DIY world or, or the, you know, entrepreneurial world? Well... So in my house, just using stainless steel pipe and plate, I have curtain rods that look good. Uh, stainless will polish up really nice, and it's substantially stronger than anything you could get at Lowe's. Uh, it gives you the person. It gives you the ability to create things that you're not going to find at your retail stores. And once you've made it, then you have the the wherewithal to know that. That you're not going to have to do it again, which frees up time. I think that there's probably just it's kind of unlimited. It's kind of like a Pandora's box. It's it's once you know how to do this thing, then you figure out actually, hey, I always wanted this or I always wanted that or hey, that's an idea. Like I I, I found that a lot of skill sets over the years that I've picked up, all of a sudden you start looking around and going, you know, I could take that thing over there and do this thing with it. Mm, definitely. Uh, so I have an attic door, and the quality, the the baseboard that the ladder and everything go on is almost like a compressed cardboard, and it's starting to fail. And not even knowing if you don't even know how to weld, just having the plate itself, stainless or aluminum. Uh, for instance, I have a bunch of uh, diamond plate aluminum down at the shop, and so. I've cut it to the dimensions that the compressed board would be, and I can basically apply that, and it's going to be something relative to the same weight and then substantially stronger. So I also have a, a chicken coop, and when the property was first being created, when the house was being built, uh, there was a trailer that had an awning. And so we've decided to turn that into a chicken coop. And we there's concrete and so with just having the stainless steel base plate and stainless steel tacked pipe, we were able to make sleeves and mounts for the galvanized carbon steel piping to go to. And then concrete drilling that, it kind of creates like a layer of protection between the galvanized steel and the concrete. I mean, there's there's really no limit like you talk about. And a lot of people often ask me, it's like, well, what are you going to make in your shop? And it's it kind of comes down to what – what am I not going to make? It really comes down down to like time and feasibility and how complex 
the object is because obviously the more complex it is, the more time it takes. And I mean, a lot of things, for instance, inside the house is covered in a, it's nickel plated, which is made to kind of emulate what stainless steel brush looks like. And it looks really good. And a lot of times it's just easier to do that. Then other times I need it to be substantially stronger. So then I'll rely on stainless. One other thing I wanted to run by you is that I've seen all kinds of videos on YouTube and Facebook of trampolines flying through the air <laughs> as a big insurance liability. So something simple that anybody that owns one of these, these things can make is, have you ever seen those stakes that you can put in the yard for your dog? They're kind of like a corkscrew. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So if you buy a stainless washer, stainless steel will weld to carbon steel. Uh, it, it might be a little dirty because it's chromed. But if you take stainless steel wire for whatever process you're using and you just run that stainless washer up to the neck of that stake and tack it in a few places, then take a 2-inch by 2-inch piece of stainless plate and then a pipe that's two inches in, in diameter, cut it two inches long, and then cut it in half. Now you have two sections of cuffs that you can weld to the stainless steel plate and then drill a hole in the, in the stainless plate. And what you'll have basically is a something that you can twist into the ground and the cuff acts to retain the, the trampoline to the ground. A while ago... There was a huge windstorm that blew off my storm door, and we lost some shingles and everything because we're surrounded by an oasis of corn. And I wasn't there, but I basically I asked the old lady if the trampoline was still in the yard. And I know the neighbors were watching, waiting for that thing to take off, but it didn't go anywhere. So that's something anybody can make pretty easy. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, as a welder or a metal fabricator, um, are there anything you think of that kind of offers the, the average person that's really unique, that, that having that skill set, or maybe that you could uh, market that skill set as well to people that don't have it? Absolutely. Uh, for instance, when I was in my apartment, um, I came into a relationship, and I don't know about you, but if you're taking a shower together, there's usually – the cold man in the corner and the woman hogging all the water. <laughs> so yeah. a couple two-inch by two-inch stainless steel plates with a couple holes and some stainless steel pipe, uh, you can get a diverter valve for your washer, the, the spray nozzle, and what that will do is use the shower curtain rod itself to transport water to the other end and now you've got, uh, without any type of internal plumbing, uh, two shower heads for your shower. But okay, there's that's, also... That's pretty freaking cool. I'll give you... That's <laughs> pretty freaking cool. Use the shower rod as a pipe. All right. And, and again, that's a pretty simple construction, but you would also need like a rigid pipe threader, and and I'd rec recommend TIG for that because, I mean, there's another factor to consider. In any type of fabrication, the weld is going to distort. And what I mean by that is the weld is going to draw in. So the minimal amount of heat is recommended in any type of welding because it's kind of like beginner's 
if, if they don't understand that if you take two plates and think that you're just going to run a big bead down the center and you're going to have a larger plate, likely what you're going to do is that whole plate is going to warp because of the distortion. Uh, there's things you can do to kind of counter that, but that's just something to be aware of in any type of project. But, I mean, there's all type. I, I've made mounts all around the house. Uh, a simple 3 by 3 plate of stainless, and you could take a sander and put a nice bevel on it, and oftentimes just taking a wire brush, uh, usually motorized, and just brush it. puts a nice finish on it. And putting a little thing of round stock, which is basically just solid. It's not a pipe. Pipe's hollow, and the round stock is solid. A hook. And what I can use that for in various locations is to where if I'm washing my dog or if I have company or something like that, all I have to do is just put the leash on him and slide it right in there, and then he's not going to get out. Uh, I have uh, down in my basement a sump pump, uh, a sump pump cover. Before I found a giant stainless plate, it was covered by some 16th-inch thick plastic, and I was concerned that my daughter might fall down into that. So since I already have the stainless plate, then I went ahead and welded a – cut a hole and, and put a pipe in there, and then I went ahead and went to – Farm and Fleet RKO, well, that's what we have up here, but it's a hand crank um, water pump. And it's adapted to uh, fit a water hose, which I can run right out the basement window. And if for some reason I, my sump pump fails, then I can actually manually crank out the water. But, I mean, keeping in mind that stainless will basically last longer than it's really relevant to care about I mean, I have uh, exercise equipment, pull-up bars, things like that around on the property that I don't have to worry about. And really, when you're doing something like that, I mean, if you're climbing up something, if you want to make a ladder that, that that you could go up on your roof easily with, I mean, you it's just not comfortable to grab onto either nasty paint or uh, corroded steel. I mean, the applications are endless. Awesome, man. So you actually have a, a YouTube channel of your own, and you have a Facebook page. Let's tell people about that. Before I do, I was just say, you know, we're talking about all this stuff you can build. Apparently, you can build, like, a really badass-looking, giant, uh, gratuitous uh, space sword or something as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I uh, wanted to make that sword for a long time, and uh, we deal with a lot of titanium where I work, and I've... I've I've been pretty good to that company. They've been pretty good to me. And someone who's no longer with us told me when I finally came across that that uh, size plate, which that's a uh, solid titanium, and it's a replica of a uh, of a popular uh, game sword that I played as a kid, and I just always wanted one. So and the neat thing about titanium is, is that you can cut it with uh, simple oxyacetylene because it's a delta class metal. So, anyway, uh, I do have a YouTube, and I've been posting a lot of videos recently and whatnot, and that's under my uh, fabrication company called Aquarius Fabrication. I also have a Facebook that's under the same name, Aquarius Fabrication, uh, followed by Nathan Walters. And then I, I did sign up for MeWe, and I uploaded everything there, but there's nothing but tumbleweeds okay. out there. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> I kind of gave up pushing that. I pushed it really hard, and you know, I had a couple dozen people that were pretty hardcore with using it, but it just people don't want to leave Facebook, and it's uh, you know, it's not even leave. Let's let's go over here and do this thing to, and it just it hadn't picked up. I. I, I, I kick Mark Zuckerberg in the face every time I get a chance to, and I don't like the guy, and I don't like a lot of their practices, but it's where people are. You know, until mm. people are willing to go somewhere else, that's that's kind of where, for stuff like this especially, like, I don't know, my nephew and niece-in-law showed me some new thing that they're all excited about called TikTok, and it's like 15-second videos of people being fools. And I mean, I understand people like that and all, but it, It doesn't translate for welding or podcasting very well. So, you know, I go where my people are. So I understand that. Dude, I appreciate you being with us today. I think it's a it's a skill that is is largely underutilized given how inexpensive it can be and how many, you know, opportunities there are to learn and how many things that it opens up for you. And it's I think for a lot of people it's almost like sorcery, like, oh you can weld, you know, like it's a big deal. But it I, I do think it's something that most people can teach themselves how to do, uh, or maybe just get a little bit of mentorship and do fairly well. It's also something people can like really screw some stuff up and hurt themselves. So I think it's good that we had a good discussion mm -hmm. on safety equipment and safety procedure. And I would caution anybody getting involved in something you don't know what you're doing with. I think the number one way you can avoid getting hurt is except that you don't know what you're doing, right? Because then that way you can think about things before you do it, and that makes you follow procedure. There's a reason there's safety procedures and things, and yeah. it is more important you know what the safety procedures are than you know why it is. You'll learn why it is, but if you know what it is and follow it, you know, a lot of times that'll, that'll save you a lot of misery and a lot of uh, trips to the ER or worse, like I said. So, hey, man, thank you for being with us. I'll make sure that there are links Uh, to your YouTube and your Facebook in today's show notes, and I appreciate you being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jack, and if anybody has any types of questions or anything like that, uh, don't hesitate to hit me up. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it again. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. All right, folks, and with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you like the show and the work we do, you can uh, do your uh, online shopping through tspaz.com and support us no matter what you buy. Today I've got something for you um, that – I think this is really a great item for a lot of people. And it's one of those items. You know, we talked about doing things yourself, making things yourself today. I thought about doing that for this need. I wanted a way to extend my season, to be able to grow more stuff in the wintertime, you know, other than my indoor hydroponic stuff. I want to be able to do it outdoors. And I also wanted a product I could recommend to you guys because I get questions about this all the time. And there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's greenhouse. Um, there's what you call a cold frame. And then there's, there's various methods of covering crops that are in the ground, and, and we usually call those, uh, you know, uh, t garden tunnels or low tunnels or uh, floating row covers, various different versions of pretty much all the same thing. And the way that most people do that, especially if they're like a market gardener or a small-scale farmer or something like that, what they'll do is they buy the material and they buy the arches or they make the arches and buy the material. And you put your arches in, you got these little, like a mini, little mini greenhouse tunnel, and then you put a cover over it, and you got to weight it down or stake it down or do something with it and tuck the ends in and what have you. And it's, it's economical to do it that way. It's very cheap. You can do a lot for a little if you take that approach. And you can go pretty wide with that, you know, like maybe four foot wide and a couple feet tall. And that's great, again, if you're a farmer or what have you, because you need to, you know, farming a, a half acre or something like that, you can't afford the solution that I found. But if you're a gardener, 
and you don't want your life to suck and you don't want this thing to be a pain in the ass and fight the wind and it, just a mess, these things by Tierra Garden, Easy Garden Tunnels, are the coolest thing I've ever found. They come in a poly, which is more like, you know, a greenhouse plastic. They call it, come in a fleece, which I've pretty much determined is perfect for my winters. They come in a micro mesh, which has a little bit of thermal gain, but it's mostly for protection against insect pests. So if you have a crop that's constantly getting hammered, you can put it under this micro mesh even in the summer or late spring or early fall, whatever, just to protect it from insects. And then there's a net version that provides some shade. Basically, it's a shade cloth. So if you're trying to grow greens that always bolt on you in summer, you can use that one uh, like a mini shade house. Now, here's what makes them so cool. They're just about 12 foot long, so they're a good length. Um, they're not that expensive. They, they're priced in the $20 to $30 range, depending on the options. And I'll talk about the important information about the pricing here in a second. So this can save you a lot of money by, by knowing the stuff I'm about to tell you. Uh, but we, we'll get to that. Um, but they have ends with a drawstring. And that means once you put them in place, you can, if you want the ends closed, you pull the drawstring and slide a little lock up and the ends stay closed. And don't blow open on you. If you want them open, you open them up and roll them over and lock that string back the other way, and then your ends stay open so you get airflow on warmer days. When you want to work on your crops, instead of having to lift things up and whatever, it just kind of accordion folds. So if it's 12 foot long and you got the whole thing out, you just kind of slide it in about six foot. You can work, water, weed, harvest, and you just put it back. It's so easy to do. I can do it one-handed. I did a video today where I had the camera in one hand and the tunnel in another. It's just convenient. It's easy, it's fast, and it works. And then the big thing, they come with a bag, and it's not one of these complicated origami folding things. When you're done with it, just folds flat, stick it in the bag, put it away until next season. And so you've got stuff, you got solutions for all four seasons, for, for four different uh, uh, purposes. And they're, again, they're about 20 to 30 bucks. So if you're trying to, you know, Put a half acre under this. You've got to go with a, a standard uh, you know, row cover solution. For gardeners, this is great. Now, I know what you're thinking. At 12 foot long, Jack, I've got an 8 foot garden. I mean, everybody has 4 foot by 8 foot beds. That's okay. Because they accordion, you just take them out to 8 feet and just take the end and kind of keep those last two hoops together and stick them in the ground. And since they're 2 foot wide for what they call the giant ones, which I don't consider giant, by the way. It's about the only failing I have in our market. Don't call this giant. Call it standard and call the other one small. I don't recommend the small one. They're only 18 inches wide. But since they're two foot wide, if you have a four by eight bed, two will cover the whole bed. So they're just awesome. I put a video out today with them as well. So you want to check these out. There's a million different companies making stuff like this. I went through dozens of them in my research till I settled on these. Now, here's why I almost skipped them. These are three big heads up on pricing. They're in the write-up. If you search for these on Amazon, again, they're made by a company called Tierra Garden. All the listings that will come up that you'll generally find will show uh, a thing that says, you know, that's not just a price on it. It says available from these sellers, and you click it. It's almost always inflated when you see it like that, and it'll be like 50 bucks a piece. I don't recommend you spend 50, 60 bucks on these things. That's too much money. Like I said, 20 to 30-ish bucks. So how's that work? Well, one listing has them listed at a fair price. My link's in the write-up. Find that listing. Two, pricing bounces around. In my video today, I said the fleece one cost less than the poly one. It did when I bought it. Like, what, 10 days ago I bought these things and started using them. 10 days ago, the fleece one was 25, the poly one was 29. Today, the fleece one's 31 and the poly one's 29. You're going to buy a couple of them? 
I wouldn't worry about it much. If you're thinking I'm going to really like use the the shade cloth ones in summer, and you're like going to invest in these, this might be one to put in a price watching tool and keep an eye on them for a while. Number three, this one's really important if you're thinking about the shade netting for the summer. Some items, when I link to them on Amazon as an affiliate, I can't link directly to the product. I just can't. It won't let me. When you switch to the net version in the link I gave you, it says the net version is $45. If you look up at the top, there'll be a listing that says you can get the same item for like $25. If you click that listing, you can buy it. But I can't link to that listing for whatever reason. I am prohibited from linking directly to that listing. So if you're going to buy the net one, I've given you the link to find it. Look for the other option. And I would say use my pricing as a baseline when you look at all these things. If you find anybody selling them for less, buy them from that other person. But be careful because the pricing on this is more so than anything I've ever seen out on Amazon all over the flipping map. But these things are freaking Awesome, and if you've been wanting to extend your season, or if you've been wanting to start to get an early start in spring, or you have a crop that when you put it out, it just gets ransacked by insects, or if you have a crop that you grow in the summer that, you know, by July it's just bolting and you can't keep it, they have a solution for all of that, and it's not much, it's certainly less expensive than building a greenhouse, or a shade house, or what have you. So sometimes you can't bring your crop to the greenhouse, but you can bring the greenhouse to your crop. You can do that with Tierra Garden, Easy Garden Tunnels. They are on my list of things for every gardener to at least know about, so you know that option is available. And ease of use, this is another item, like the, like the hydroponic plugs I brought you yesterday, the easy button. There's cheaper ways to do it, but I don't know an easier, more convenient one. All right, with that, let's wrap things up today. I've got for you Song of the Day today, and I should have told you this Yesterday and Monday, we're in TV songs week. These are all songs about television. Uh, yesterday, of course, was the revolution. Will not be televised. That was pretty obvious. Today's is a little less obvious till you start listening to it. It's by Jack Johnson. Hey, Jake, look, you got a Jack Johnson song. Jake knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, it's called Good People. And it's uh, kind of sort of about reality TV and, you know, just not really finding any good quality people on the TV anymore, anything that isn't hyped. Here's what here's what Jack Johnson said. He said it's a little bit about reality TV. A TV show called Boarding House was being done in Hawaii. And a lady who was producing it asked if I wanted to play in the grand finale of the show. I said, I'm not interested. I can understand why Jack Johnson didn't want to be on reality TV. It's the same reason I told all the survival-type TV people years ago to go pound sand. Anyway, she came up to me while I was having a conversation at this community gathering, which was a fundraiser for Sunset Elementary School, and then she interrupted me again and said, I didn't understand. <laughs> Honey, he understood. That's why he told you no. Anyway, back to what Johnson has to say about this that it is for national TV and that it would be a great opportunity for me. So that's where the line, you interrupt me from a friendly conversation to tell me how great it's all going to be, comes from. That verse is about how sometimes, even when you're trying not to pay attention to it, television and the entertainment industry and all of that, that still sneaks in your world. It's obviously in jest and just a funny song, but it's about that feeling you get sometimes when you flip through the channels that they're, isn't one thing on TV that's not sensationalized or just completely about some of the lower parts of humanity and you just start wondering where the good people are. I know where the good people are. 
they're generally, not that there's never any good people on TV. Let's not go that far. But in general, I'll tell you where the good people are. They're seeing to their lives. They're taking care of their families. They're developing skill sets. And they're building independence, personal liberty, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance into their, into their lifestyle. In other words, a whole hell of a lot of them are right in this survival podcast community. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Got this and that.